Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is season two. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41. And now I can officially say this on season two. I am now on TikTok at Alex Meacham 41. This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat great who transferred to UC and had to sit out the 2015-2016 season, but played from 2016 to 2018 under head coach Mick Cronin. This 6-9-4 became a fan favorite because of his consistent play on the court. He left UC with a 61-11 and record. Let me repeat that, 61-11 and record and was a huge reason for the Bearcats' success. I would like to welcome in number 24, my guy, Kyle Washington. What's up, Kyle? <laughs> Thank you. That's a hell of an introduction. I'm feeling like I'm running out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good, man. How you doing, man? What are you up to these days? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm uh, still pursuing my career, my pro career. I've had, to tell you the truth, my, my first three three years has been a little turbulent. But uh, it's been some outside factors that have played into it, not really necessarily with my play. So, you know, sometimes sometimes careers start off like that. So, I mean, I took a few hits on the chin, but I'm doing I'm doing well. COVID kind of COVID kind of allowed me to take a chance to reset and mm-hmm. uh, kind of recalibrate my focus and what I wanted to do. So, you know, now I'm training again. I'm actually training with my brother. Uh, he's a he's about to be a junior. He's taking a gap year though. And uh, okay. yeah, we're, I'm just training and then waiting for my next spot. So, so where's your brother? Is he, is my he playing? Bro- yeah, my brother's playing. He played at uh, the College of St. Rose. St. Rose, it's a D2 school. Uh, he had a good couple years there, but wanted to transfer. And uh, right now, he's looking to right now he's looking to just find a new spot. But with with schools and stuff like that, he didn't really know where he wanted to go yet, and he didn't really. Um, he didn't really want to rush a decision, so he's going to take a gap year, and he's just going to uh, just wait it out and see what he wants to do. All right, good, man. So so currently you're training and just, just waiting for your next opportunity to play uh, professionally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, my first year I played I played in Turkey for about a half a season, and I was doing really well, but the organization and I really didn't see eye to eye, so I left. I went to the Windy City Bulls for a little bit, and then I finished with uh, the Sioux Falls Sky Force and the G League. Um, they were okay opportunities, but like I said, it was a little turbulent, and I was kind of losing some gas for my uh, rookie season because I really wanted to stay in Turkey, and I it was uh, it was three teams that I was on, and I'm used to playing for one team. I know exactly what I'm doing, mm-hmm. so it was I was kind of all over the place. So kind of taking that journey was a little it was a little deflating for me to tell you the truth, but I had to. 
like I told you, I had to kind of recalibrate what I was thinking and attack it and say, everybody goes through adversity, just how are you going to handle it? You know, Kyle, very few basketball players, when they go and play professionally, have a smooth career. Like you're not at one place the entire time. It runs smoothly. When you go and you play professionally, especially overseas, you go to the G League, you have to be prepared to be on a journey. You have to be prepared to go to a lot of different teams, a lot of different styles. And as you can probably tell our listeners, playing overseas is a lot different than just playing college basketball, man. There are so many ups and downs with playing overseas. Exactly. It, there's a lot of ups and downs with it. Um, to tell you the truth, I had a great time, though, in Turkey. It was, it was uh, really fun. It was fun immersing myself in the uh, culture and understanding how kind of Turkish life went out there. And then the basketball, as a rookie, I played in the uh, TBL. So that's the second league out there. But it's a really good league. There's a lot of, to, to tell you the truth, as a rookie, a lot of rookies don't go in that league just off the jump. But it was, uh, I was doing well. I hit the ground running. Uh, there was a couple weeks where I was player of the week. There was a couple weeks where I had uh, like 36 and then 30. So I was doing well. I, but like I said, and and kind of as, uh, go off of what you said, it's uh, it's different because sometimes the language barrier, like mm. people don't really understand your intentions. People don't understand where you're coming from. So they might take my intensity as, oh, I'm coming at them. But I, I was never I was never attacking you. I was just intense about the game. So it's just, right, right. So, so people, it, it was kind of like I had to learn that on the way. I had to learn and, and kind of transition on the way. But it was a good learning experience. Like I said, I was doing well out there. So, you know, I, I'll probably go out there again. And it would seem that your your game would translate well overseas, being your ability to pick and pop, hit that three. You can hit it from the top of the key. You can post, turn right shoulder, hit that left hand. You know, jump hook and do all those things. So your game should translate pretty well. No, it, it definitely does. Like you said, uh, my ability to score on three levels, the the low post, the mid-range, and the three, it was transitioning well. But to tell you the truth, I think that they didn't really understand understand how I played. So, um, I, like I said, offensive weapon, but also can do some things on defense. But, uh, the like you know, the European game is a lot of pick and roll. And, uh, <laughs> yep. and they yeah, – and they, and they, and, sometimes they have the propensity to overpass. So when you overpass, mm-hmm. sometimes you miss opportunities. So it was a little bit of a transition, but uh, like I said, I had to, I had to get under new, uh, I had to get under new uh, representation. So once I got under new representation and I'm, I'm kind of advertised as, okay, this is what he does. I think I'll be able to land into a market where they're like, okay, we know who you are from the jump and then you can just hit the ground running. Gotcha. Good stuff. Well, hey, when I reached out to you about coming on the podcast, you were very, very excited about coming on the podcast. You told me that you are a big podcast guy. You enjoy oh, listening to them. Yeah, I'm a huge podcast guy. I listen to my favorite one, my primary one is uh, Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan Experience. And I like his because, like yours, it's a uh, it's long format, so you kind of have a you kind of have the opportunity to have a casual conversation. You're not really forcing anything. It's re- very natural. But also, you talk. He talks about so many different types of things. Uh, he'll have, he'll have like anywhere from Bernie Sanders to Jamie Foxx on there. So it's just a wide mm-hmm. spectrum of, of different. You know how it is. So it's yep. it's a, 
it's a great way to learn things. This is a great way to kind of I, I use it as my background noise when I'm when I'm cleaning or doing just uh, boring <laughs> stuff around the house. Right, right. I'm a homebody, so that's what I do. But uh, yeah, I love that the Lewis House podcast is good, and then I just have like a, a plethora of different comedians that I listen to that good are pretty stuff. funny. Now yeah. listen, when when I tweeted out that you know you were coming on the podcast, was going to interview you, the response was crazy. Oh, it was? It was crazy. You are a huge uh, fan favorite still to this day. Um, Why do you think that is? Like, what was it about Kyle Washington that resonated so well with the Bearcat fans still to this day? Uh, I just think people saw my intentions. I think people saw that I wanted to win. Um, When I got to Cincinnati, I remember the first day I got picked up by Greg Gunkowski. He's now a coach at LMU. He picked me up and I asked him to go right to the gym. So I really learned I really learned my work ethic from getting trained from my dad at an early age and then going to high school doing it at, in boarding school. But then also just in college and understanding that it's okay. Like I wasn't good enough to go out and party and then be good. I had to pick one or the other. So I was learning that at state. But once mm-hmm. I learned that work ethic and once you get the long-term one time, once you get the long-term gratification of putting in this work from from Sunday to Sunday, and then you see the you see the results, it's no better feeling. I tell I tell anybody going to college, I tell anybody that who's trying to play basketball. So once I learned that, I just fell in love with the process, and I think I think I'm a fan favorite because uh, because they just saw my intention. They saw I wanted to win. They saw it was about my team. And I loved every minute of the experience. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about my time there. And yeah. uh, I just love that they embraced me the way they did. And I'm and like I said, I'm great. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that response. And I love I love them right back. Well, if you think about it, in, in Cincinnati, much like a lot of places in the Midwest, a very blue collar town, mm-hmm. and you, you know they they like, especially from a sports standpoint, they like their athletes in this area to come in and bust their ass, you know, mm-hmm. have passion. And you just checked all those boxes. Like you, you were the, one of the perfect type of players to come in to this area and, and fans just love you much like Gary Clark. Now listen, you and Gary Clark are very different personality wise. Yeah, However, <laughs> right. Very, very different. However, the core, I think mm-hmm. of the two of you, are very, very similar and are joined at the hip. You know, mm-hmm. that, that both blue-collar guys, it, it really wasn't like the whole thing wasn't about you. It was, exactly. about, the, it was about the team and about winning. And you were you understood, Gary understood, that you were important pieces to a, to a bigger thing. And I think you and Gary, man, would just absolutely love. And that's why I got such a big response on social media. So hats off to you, man. Well, I appreciate that, man. And like I said, when you approached me, I was, uh, like I said, I was honored to do this and because I love the experience. Like I told you before, we didn't really talk that much when I was there, but I did appreciate your hustle and um, just your genuineness from the from, from afar. But like you, you. like you were talking about, uh, Gary, my boy GC, like it was it was beautiful the way, especially the way we had it set up our senior year because everybody knew how we were approaching it. Uh, Gary was in the gym just like I was, and we just had a, such a cool connection, such a great connection, because he knew, like, he 
is so much different from what I am. He's very <laughs> quiet. He gets his stuff done, and he's just on his way. So I think it's that perfect yin and yang was the perfect yeah, combination sure. on, on the leadership and the hierarchy of the team. So when you have your leaders like that and when you make sure that everybody's in line and everybody's in tune, I think it was beautiful the way it's set up because we had great pieces. We had great pieces, uh, Jaron, uh, Jacob, uh, Trey, everybody, uh, Justin, Kane, everybody on that team uh, contributed in a certain way. And we just sat down and we we had everybody come to, through to my apartment right before the season started. And we just said, what do we want to do with the season and, and what type of outcomes do we have to have? And then we just told the younger guys, like, look, this is the way we need to do things. This is the way we need to be in tune with each other because you've been on good, good teams. You were you were you were uh, on the team from '96 to '98, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was. I was. You, well, I got there '96. '96. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you had. Uh, you you guys had a great. Se- you guys had great seasons also, and you know that on being on a team like that, you have to be able to be able to communicate every day and know. Okay, this mm-hmm. is what this is what coach wants. This is how we got to get it done. So, like you yep. said, we just. We were just in tune with each other on a different level, and it's a blessing for that. And we're going to dive into, in more detail, your experience with the Bearcats, your leadership, and some more stories and details with that a little bit later. But what mm-hmm. I want to do is I want to I ask every person that comes onto this podcast that played for the Bearcats why they chose the number they chose when they played for the Bearcats. You wore number 24. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose number 24? Oh, because of Kobe. <laughs> rest in peace, my, rest in peace, of my boy. But it was just, it was just because of Kobe. So I'll give you a quick story. I was at mm-hmm. LeBron, LeBron James Skills Academy, my junior year in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, I was watching the Team USA practice. Uh, it was the USA Select team versus the regular USA guys, and I was never, when I was a kid, kid, like I never really loved Kobe because I didn't understand, I didn't understand what he was and what he meant to the game because I was just young, I didn't know what. Mm-hmm. But I was started to do my research on him and what he was really doing. Like everybody obviously knows what he was doing on the court, but off the court and his regiment and his just insane attack of him and his journey on trying to be great every day, I just thought it was beautiful. And I had I grown. Uh, my sophomore year at state, I was I was really going through it. Um, I went from starting and playing all games, starting as a freshman, playing a lot of minutes to not starting at all. And I I didn't understand why because I proved myself once again coming into my sophomore year, and I would just look for motivation every day. And I would watch I would watch his films, I would watch his tapes, I would watch mm. everything about him. And I just I just grown so I my love for him just grew so much. Mm-hmm. I wore my sleeve that way. I wore my sleeve the way Kobe did, <laughs> and I wore I wore the number because I would I just wanted to be like him. Not in my game because we just played different positions, play totally different. But just in that, just that in that attack, and that I'm gonna be great. Nobody's gonna stop me. Just in that mentality. So that's why I wore that number. Uh, and to finish my story at LeBron James Skills Academy. He came up to me and he was like, "You look like Tyson Chandler." I thought it was the weirdest thing he ever said. Who, like he who came, said this. Kobe came up to me. And he Kobe said that. came up and said this to you. Yeah, I was like, I, was, I said, "What's up to everybody?" Like Bron, I said, "Yeah." Kobe was just sitting there because it was USA versus USA Select, and I just came wow. up to him. He was chilling. He was like, "You look like Tyson Chandler," and I just started laughing. I was like, "I don't really think I look like Tyson Chandler, but I'm not going to say anything to you, Kobe." <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. 
but it's that crazy. Is... I was I was so sad when he when he passed away. Oh yeah, that's just uh man. That's that's just one of those things where I still I still have a hard time looking at a picture of him because we yeah. were close to the same age and and kind of came up in the game at the same time. Played at in the same AU tournament. Wow, we that's both crazy. did. He played two courts over from me, so yes, that's, that's still hard for me to understand. But I, I do want to say something about what you just said, and mm. I think that's one of the beauties of you know whether it's basketball, life is the ability to discover something great, you know, and sometimes things are in our face and we don't necessarily see them. For example, um, there was a painting in my mother and father's house and I would walk Mm. past this painting for years, Kyle. And Mm. one day for some odd reason, I stopped and I just looked at it Mm. and I'm like, I've walked past this thing for 10 plus years and I'm looking, I'm like, this thing is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> I looked at the detail of it, and I asked my mom, who did this, and, like, what is it? And then we kind of went through it, and I'm like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And I, dis- <laughs> and I discovered it. And, mm-hmm. and much like, you know, you saw Kobe play before, but then mm-hmm. you started studying his game, and then you realize, holy shit, <laughs> like, this is this exactly. is greatness right here. And I exactly. think that is, that is such, you know – I hear so many stories of players that discover other players and, mm-hmm. and study their game. And I, I say, I've watched him before. I never knew he was that, that good. Exactly. So I, I totally get it. But exactly. listen, here's what I'd like to do. I want to rewind the tape. And mm-hmm. so I want to, want to kind of go through your journey in hoops and I want to take it all the way back to Minnesota. Now you were okay. born in, is it Chaplin Park? No, I wasn't even, bro. I wasn't even born in Champlain, but I grew up there. That's why I put the. That's why I put that on my, on the. That's where I put that where I was listed at. So I was born in New York, bro, and I grew up in New York till I was like, till I was about ten, and then I moved to I moved to Minnesota till I, I was like from like ten to like eighteen. My okay. story's crazy. So I moved to so I moved to uh, Minnesota. So wait, wait, I was like, wait a minute. What what part of New York were you born? I was born in Manhattan, but I I grew up in Queens, and then I moved to Jersey for a little bit, and then we moved to Minnesota. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my dad, so my dad actually is he 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 did a good job. He played pro for a little bit. He played in the CBA. He played like in South America and and some part and some parts of Europe. But he was really a street legend, like in in Rucker and like all the all the leagues, like. When New York, when New York City leagues were like the best leagues, summer leagues ever, that's when my dad played, and that's that's really? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he knows, like he knows Kenny Satterfield's dad. Like him and him and Kenny Satterfield's dad grew up together, so it was like crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Okay, this is good. This is good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So why'd you guys move to Minnesota? So my parents. So my dad. My mom worked on Wall Street, and my dad, uh, he worked for the Knicks. He was he was community relations for the Knicks. He actually, you know, you know it's funny, Meech, he, so my dad got invited to um, rookie free agent camp with Rick Pitino, and then obviously Rick is connected to Mick when Mick was at Louisville with him. Mm-hmm. But so, and then Rick actually ended up, uh, 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 recruited me at, at Louisville, and I told him like, "You remember my dad?" I was just like, "That's when that's when I knew basketball was such a small world." But 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we decided to move because just my mom and dad were just moving crazy. They didn't really get to see my my my, uh, my brother and me that often, so they were like, we want to move out. I'm going to move out. My mom said, I'm going to move out with my sister, and then we're going to we're gonna kind of grow up, grow up out there, a slower pace, Midwest. So it was crazy. We went from Jersey to Minnesota, but we loved it. So we, cause that's all we knew. We were, I was only 10 and my brother was like four. So gotcha. it was, yeah, that's how we grew up. But to tell you the truth, my household, like I was raised with a New York mindset. So, mm-hmm. and, and I was raised in basketball with a New York mindset. Cause like I told you, like my dad is really for real, a street legend out here. So, he he taught me the game, but he was really good in college too. He played at he played at an NAIA school called St. Thomas Aquinas. He was actually all American out there. He did really well, and um, so he he taught me the game. And then he just he literally trained me, Michi. Literally, I I told him, look, I want to play basketball. I told him I want to play basketball seriously in like the eighth grade, and mm-hmm. uh, he was like, okay, if you're serious about this, then. You know, we got to start getting up at 6 a.m., going to the gym, working out, mm. and that's that's where it started. So if you could – I wish I could send you a picture, but if you could see me in, like, eighth grade, I was literally, like, skin and bones, like, skin and bones. <laughs> I would fall. I would fall every other time running up and down the court. No coordination, no type of skill whatsoever, just really raw elements. And my dad mm-hmm. literally took me from the ground floor to – he he literally built my whole house, so he taught me everything I knew about the game. We've been super close ever since. So so did he wait? Did he kind of wait for you to tell him I'm ready? Yeah, he did. He did, and he always he always we always would have a great time around the game. We would always watch the NCAA tournament, but he never. You know how it is because you you coach obviously the they're the rising stars, right? Sh- shining star. The shining stars that you coach mm-hmm. the shining stars. You know how AAU and high school basketball and like grassroots basketball is. Like mm-hmm. these kids, these kids are pushed by their parents, and some of them are burnt out. And my yeah, dad, no ne- yeah, my dad never did that. But once he said that, once he said, once I told him, hey, look, I'm serious about this, then he was really like he was my biggest fan, but he was also my biggest critic. Like he went hard <laughs> on me, so mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was crazy. But it. Everything that he taught me was really just valid up until now, for real. And, and that's the that's the best way I th- I think as a parent to let your child discover the game and come to you and say, "Hey, I'm ready." Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's so much burnout in in basketball right now because mm-hmm. sometimes you get you know you get a parent who's either played the game before or they weren't successful at the game and they want their child to be so good. And they're like, well, I know what it takes. And they're (laughs) pushing their kid to do all these things when, you know, always, always tell our parents, let your kid drive the car. You're just putting gas in the tank. When the parents try to drive the car, it's not going to work. It's it's gotta be the kid. And it sounds like your dad lets you drive the car in this situation. He filled the tank. Exactly. He definitely did. He definitely did. Um, uh, he he let me kind of fall in love with the game because I think I think everything you said was a hundred percent right. I also think that when when you're a kid and when you're trying to figure out this whole basketball thing because it's just just whole separate universe. It's this whole world. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
when you when you're really learning about the game, I feel like you have to kind of grow your own identity to it. So he kind of let me grow my own identity, and then once I said, "Hey, I I really like this thing," then he was just okay. He was like, "Okay, let me show you this world." So I think that's the biggest key, especially for kids or you know young people trying to play. Like, just grow your own identity. Figure out what mm-hmm. you love about it, and then I think it'll always be yours and your from your perspective. I think that's great advice. So yeah. let's go through your high school experience. So where did, you've got quite the, the basketball journey here as a, as a youth mm-hmm. player. Um, where did you start your high school career off at? So I started my high school career off at Benil St. Margaret's in, uh, in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Uh, that, was a, that was a private school, and it was way out of my district. It was like 35 minutes from me. But my mm-hmm. best friend – my best friend Miles, who was actually like he was the star in high school because he played he played basketball. He got recruited by Wichita State, and then he played football. He was great in football. He got recruited by North Dakota State, who won like seven national championships in a row in one A, and mm-hmm. was producing like crazy NFL kids. And then he ended up going to Air Force. So he's uh, he played football at Air Force, but he was the one who went to Benil. And they just won a national championship. Do you remember the kid, Jordan Taylor, who went to Wisconsin? Uh, he 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 played back in the day. He plays overseas in France. But, like, okay. he, led the, he led them to a state championship. And then Benil was, like, the hot ticket in Minnesota at the at the, min, at the uh, time. And I was like, I want to go to Benil so bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and my boy was like, okay, you should. So he plugged me with a, a couple of – a couple of coaches there and a couple of teachers there. And I took a tour and like, I was blessed enough to get a scholarship. It was crazy because they must've saw something in me that I didn't. Cause I literally, I was not good. Me. <laughs> I was just, I was just tall, lanky kid who was just excited about basketball. So I went there and uh, that's where I started at. Um, so we you've were, always been, a, you've always been a tall kid. You've always been. Yes. Yeah. So about around eighth grade, that's when I started to sprout. Like I was about, I was maybe I wasn't I wasn't like above average in eighth grade, but I wasn't short. I was probably maybe I don't know. I don't even know how tall I was, but I was just I was just average. But mm-hmm. then uh going into ninth grade I really started to sprout. I was about six two, like in the winter time and then I was in the springtime I was about six four, so yeah, then I started to grow and I started to get really tall, so um yeah, that was it was a cool thing to have. But my parents were tall, so I was kind of hoping for it. Now, did you when you got there your freshman year? What did they do with you? Did they put you on freshman JV? They throw you right to varsity? Man, I was on fresh. I was on the freshman team. I was a ninth grader on freshman team, and um, but oh, hold on, I'm I'm tripping. So I had to. I was a ninth grade. On I started on the freshman team. But there was a – we had a collection of kids. It was a it was a bunch of talent. I don't know. You probably won't know this name, but it was like – it was this kid named Will Dunn. It was this kid named Isaiah Zierden. He went to Creighton. Uh, it was this kid named Sanjay Lumpkin. He went to Northwestern. Uh, they had this kid named Trent Pollard who used to be great. And this is all Minnesota kids that were like just running, like running Minnesota basketball from like fourth to eighth grade and got all this talent. Mm-hmm. And – um. So they ended up making a 9A team, a 9B team, and then a 9 platinum team. So, like, I was <laughs> – So there were I'm three ninth-grade teams. 
there were three ninth grade teams, but the nine platinum team was the elite team, and I ended up I ended up making that team because I was tall, and I uh-huh. I started to I wanted to be I wanted to be distinguished, so I was like, look, whatever I got to do to make this team, I'm gonna do it. So I was just hustling, just running really hard, running the rim hard, uh, just doing all the dirty work and like having a little bit of offense here and there, but I just wanted to be on that team, and I made it, so I was I was happy about that. Okay, so that experience your 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 freshman year like you said yeah. you 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 weren't there skill wise yet but i assume like a lot of coaches they saw your potential they saw yeah. the height and they said yeah. if we can work with this guy you know in a year or two we we've got some some gold on our hands would that be yeah, right they, yeah they definitely did but i would be amiss if i told you that it was it was the coaches like i had a lot of good i had a lot of good coaches at Benel don't get me wrong coach john moore he was there uh, he won that state title right before right before I got there my freshman year. Coach uh-huh. Pettinger, Coach Jerry Pettinger, he was a big time name in Chicago uh, high school basketball. He coached Corey Maggette, and he's still the AD. Mm-hmm. He's still the AD at Benilla St. Margaret's. Like they had some influence on my game, but I would be like I told you, I'd be amiss if I told you if I didn't tell you that it was all my dad. Like my dad was teaching me everything that I needed to know to go to college and and to do what I did in college. Mm. So he was like, okay, he, we would talk literally every day and he would be like, okay, what did they show you? He'd be like, okay, this is right. This is right. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is right. So I would just be listening to him word, hanging on to every one of his, every single (laughs) one of his words, like, okay, I have to do this, that, and that. So, um, but, but then I would be wrong if I told you that Benil, they didn't see my fire, like that fire that you saw in Cincy, I always had that. Like, I always had that intensity, always had that um, enthusiasm. So I was just working really with that, just skin and bones and just enthusiasm, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So so going from your, your freshman year to your sophomore year, what mm-hmm. was what was the difference? What happened your sophomore year? Okay, so, my, so I'll tell you exactly what the difference was. My freshman year, I played, I played and I had some successes. Uh, we did – like I told you, I played that. I played nine platinum that year, and then I played, I played on the sophomore team. After that team, so after that nine platinum team was split up, that team was split up because some kids went straight to varsity, some kids went to JV, and then some kids went to the sophomore team. I went to the sophomore team. Uh, it was me and Sanjay. Me and Sanjay were on the team, and this and uh, my friend named Danis. We were all on that team, and uh, we played on the sophomore team. So it was, it was that. That was ninth grade. So going mm-hmm. in my sophomore year, I came back with a lot of confidence because this man named Renee Pulley. So Renee Pulley is synonymous with Minnesota basketball. He runs he runs Howard Pulley. Uh, they were in the EYBL uh, for a long time. And he's, he's – anybody who came out of Minnesota from uh, – for what's the what's the dude's name? I can see his face right now. Uh, who who married Kim Kardashian? What's his name? Who played on the Nets? Chris Humphreys. Uh, Any, <laughs> Chris Humphreys. Bro, yeah. anybody yeah. from Chris Humphreys to Tyus Jones to Royce White to anybody mm. that ever played serious basketball out of Minnesota, he coached them. So wow. From from Khalid Alamin, if you were serious in Minnesota, you played for Howard Pulley in the summertime. So wow. in the winter, wow. in the winter when I was at Benil. I was just thinking, what do I have to do to make uh, Howard Pulley? They play in the EYBL. 
They play against all these nationally ranked kids, and that's where mm-hmm. I'm going to get my, my jump off at. So he came to a couple of our games, and he was like, are you going to try out in the spring? I was like, I was like, definitely, I'm going to try it on the spring. And uh, that's when I was really introduced to, like, elite Minnesota basketball because everybody – so the so the best teams in Minnesota at, at that time were Creighton, Durham Hall, uh, Hopkins. That's where Royce White went. Uh, and Minnehaha wasn't that good yet, but that's another story. I got out to – I tried out for – I tried out for Howard Pulley. I made the I made the team. I made the nine mm-hmm. A team, and then I just played. Look, we played everybody. Uh, I got the experience. I saw Ben Macklemore play. I, I I suited up with the 17th team one time. I literally saw Ben Macklemore jump over one of my teammates. I was like, "Yo, this is crazy!" <laughs> like, so I was like, "So when you when you see a national, when you go from Minnesota to seeing a national team, you're like, wow, I got to get way better." Right. So, right. So that experience it gave me confidence but it also gave me perspective like look you have to you have to work way harder you have to change your perspective on how good you think you are and then once I once I came back I was like okay this is I have new goals I want to come back and play I want to come back and play on the on the 17th team or the 16th team uh for Howard Pulley so I could you know start to earn some scholarships start to be seen as a serious player who could play D1 so coming back my sophomore year, I didn't I'm gonna be honest with you, I didn't even make I didn't even make the varsity team. I made I so in Minnesota you could play two half J V and then you could play a half uh varsity and that's exactly where I was at. Like I didn't even because, like my school was good. Like we had good kids there, so Yeah. And I was I wasn't nearly what I was to what I was today, so I was I started there. I started on. I started playing JV my sophomore year, and uh, and then I could and I could suit up for varsity. And I I rarely got in for varsity, but it wasn't even about that. It was about the vision I saw. I was like, okay, I see all these kids playing on the national scene. I know I could be as good as them. I just got to keep on working hard, keep on mm-hmm. believing in myself. So, like I told you, just be those meetings with my dad. And then Renee started taking a liking to me, so he was just like, "Look, when I come see you play, this is what I want to see you do." So he was just like, "You got to be dominating rebounds. You got to show that you can finish." He would just be telling me little tidbits, and I was just trying to, like I told you, I'd hang on to all his words. So that's mm-hmm. exactly what I would do. So, so um, what then happened your junior year? So my junior year is when I started to really. Uh, started to really when I really caught momentum because so so sophomore year end of sophomore year I played a little bit of varsity did some things in JV but then uh Renee I, I was 6'9 at that point though and I was starting to get taller and I was starting to get some interest though so my sophomore year I started getting letters from like Oklahoma Arkansas oh, wow. uh, Wisconsin um so I was getting, I was starting to get interest, and um, I was getting excited about that. And I was like, "Look, I could, I could, I could really make it D one. I'm just trying to go to one of those schools." But those are only letters. You know how it is. There's a difference between mm-hmm. letters, calls. So I was like, "Look, I'm gonna start somewhere." I remember getting those. I remember getting a letter from Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin. I used to just, I used to sleep with those letters, dude. <laughs> like, like I was like, "Look, I'm gonna go D one one of these days." But um, so my 
so going in my junior year, Renee told me, he was like, look, he was like, you're 6'9". He was like, but we got to speed up your progression. We got to speed up, like, your education in this. So instead of putting me on 16, he put me on 17. So mm. so I wasn't really playing a lot, but I was I was going to all these tournaments. And this is when the EYBL, like, just – it was, like, the first year of EYBL. It was mm-hmm. always Nike, but it was, like, the first year where they were, like, we're going to make this a league. We're going to make this crazy official. So, and, and Kyle, Kyle, real quick, before you yeah. dive – so for, so for some of our – listeners that might not be familiar with EYBL, just to explain to them, AU basketball, um, the highest level is the shoe circuit, which they have the EYBL, the gauntlet, you know, Under Armour has. I don't know if they changed it from the association, but those are kind of – It's like UAA or something like that, yeah. Yeah, they they changed that name up. But, like, the EYBL and the gauntlet are the creme de la creme of AAU in in tournaments. So just to make sure that our listeners know what that is. But go ahead. Yeah, so I would see I would see anybody from uh Archie Goodwin or Marquise Teague, like just these loaded yep. teams from Indiana, like Spice, Indy Heat, uh yep. everybody, the family, Detroit, New York Gauchos, everybody. So uh Mike Renee would just sit down and talk with me. And to tell you the truth, I was happy to be on the team. I wasn't really I wasn't necessarily I wanted to play, but I was just saying look i'm i'm trying to learn as much as possible so i was on that i was watching i was just watching and trying to learn so that was my mm-hmm. that was my sophomore summer going into my junior year and then so coming back my junior year i was like look i have a goal to start on varsity which i did and for us to be really good so i played so i played with like i told you my best friend miles barnes he was a super athlete like jumped out the gym he was a great wide receiver. He was like 6'4", like 240-something. And he uh, he was a great athlete. Uh, and then I played with Sanjay Lumpkin, played Northwestern basketball, Air Force football, then myself. Then you had a kid named Isaiah Zierden. He could shoot the lights out, went to Creighton. So we had a good team, and we had D1 athletes. So I was just like, look, I'm playing on a good team, and I want to stand out. So – like I told you, my sophomore my sophomore summer, I was playing with Howard Pulley, but I was also getting it in with my dad, and that's where I that's where that's my identity with basketball. Like I told you, when I started playing this game, I didn't really have anything crazy. Like I had I had heart and I could run, and that's basically it. And I could jump a little bit, but mm. but for for me to for me to become the player that I was, my final project my final product for the Cincy fans. It took hours, I'm telling hours of work to get that jump hook, to be able to turn and face in the post, to be able to dribble a little bit and then to drive on the wing, to be able to hit a, a trail three. Like, that was just so many hours of work. Like, I had to put that in, and that's what I was doing. And see, that's, this, this is what I love about this podcast in, in the long-form version because Bearcat fans see you. And take it back to when I played – they saw Kenyon Martin, and they and they see you, and and even Kmart his junior and senior year, and they see a product that they think this kid's always been a superstar, and that's not always the case. Like Kenyon Martin, much like yourself, was tall, but he had to put a lot of sweat equity into the gym just to get to the level to compete, <clears throat> and that's what I love that that now Bearcat fans who don't know your journey understand that. The Kyle Washington they watched his junior and senior year, 
there was a lot, a lot, a lot that went into that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It was like you couldn't say I couldn't have said it better myself. It was a lot that went into it, and over that time, you you grow this. It's almost like you grow uh, a dependency on basketball because it's, <laughs> it, it's like a it's like a high that you have when you go to the gym and you and you see something on film or you see a new concept that you want to implement in your game, and then you work on it. You put those hours in, and then you could actually do it in a game. It was just yeah. so exciting. So by the time that I signed with uh with Mick, it was just it was just like I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to do great things at Cincy. I saw the I saw the team he was putting together and I wanted to be a part of it. So as soon as I got here, I just started as soon as I got to Cincy, I just I just started putting in that work cuz I knew what I wanted to be. I to tell you the truth, I really didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave state based off of uh the conference I was in, the conference was was great, and I loved the competition. I knew if I was able to do some things in the ACC that people would look at me in a certain light. But when I decided to go to Cincy, I was I was happy about. It. Well, let me, let's 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 go back before that. How did you so from from high school? How did you end up at NC State? Like, what was the the process in that and with the recruiting? Who was recruiting you at the time, and how did you decide on NC State? Okay, so we kind of got to – I'm sorry, I fast forward, but we kind of got to go back to that journey that I was on with um, – with, with, so I'll, I'll kind of fast forward through my through, – are you here? Are you there, bro? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, yeah, hey, my bad, man. I just had to make sure. So my junior year – my junior year, I did pretty solid um, – I did pretty solid, and I was getting interest. I was getting interest. I got my first offer was Drake in the MVC. Uh-huh. Coach Coach Mark Felch, uh, he's at Arizona now. He he offered me, but my grades my grades weren't there because first of all, my freshman year at high school <laughs> was like I I thought I thought high school was like a movie or something. Like you just go there, you have fun, you play sports, and you go home. And I went to a – first of all, Minnesota schools are great, but then I also went to a private school. So the academic rigor was just up there, and I wasn't I wasn't in the books like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always – I always had the – I always had the capacity to do it, but I just was never – I never committed myself that way. So my junior year – my junior year, people were looking at my grades and like, look, you got to get a really high SAT score to, to match up with your – GPA and I was like look this isn't this isn't going to work for me because I'm not trying to go to junior college and uh, I'm just I'm not trying to have this dream deferred so what I did was I really locked in I locked in on the books super hard my junior year and I locked in 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 basketball super hard and I kind of I started to learn the meaning of sacrifice and I did really well I made the dean's list my 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 second semester my second semester, I made all B's my first semester at Benil, but I made uh, Dean's List my second semester uh, junior year. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I, I I don't know if I would have took the SAT if I would have qualified, but I started getting looks at from – I started getting looks from, from, from uh, boarding schools, from, like, East Coast schools and be, having the opportunity to go back where I was from and play even at a higher level, I was really excited about that. 
So the first, uh, and I'll fast forward through this part, but the first school that I went to was the Hotchkiss School. And Meech, let me tell you, I went from Benil to being a hard school in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Then I went from I went to the Hotchkiss School in Connecticut, and like these kids, the kids at Hotchkiss, their fallback schools were like Duke and UNC, dude. Like people were wow. like, people were talking in the halls. They're like, oh, you didn't get into MIT? They're like, I got in on Tuesday. Like that's what they were talking about. I was like, I was like, this is crazy. Like it's one of the it's one of the more academically renowned schools in globally, not even in in the nation. So it was. Right. Wow. It was a crazy experience, and when I so fast forward, and when I got to Hotchkiss, I was able to. I kind of, I I kind of started to stick out because I had a really solid junior, junior summer. When I played at when I played for Howard Pulley, that's when I really started to come into my own, and when I really started to play well and to understand what it was and understand my identity on the court. So I was starting to get looks, but no one really bit on me yet. I started to get high major looks, Baylor, Minnesota, Illinois, places like that. But when I hit, when I got to, when I got to Hotchkiss in Connecticut, and I was playing against kids that were supposed to be a, a hundred times better than me, that's when that's when uh, Cincy first saw me. That's when a play, I could give you like thirty schools who saw me. They saw me play either in open gym or in a game. And they're like, this kid is really good. So I like. But, but since he was recruiting you when you were there. Yeah, since he was okay. recruiting me once once I got to Hotchkiss, they saw me. Coach Savino came and saw me, and uh, he and coach coach offered me, and I was super excited about that. Louisville, I mean everybody, Florida, Notre Dame, literally everybody. I can give you a list. Ohio State. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and, and I was just super excited about that. Cause this is my dream, man. Like I would watch, I would stay home from school to watch the Big East tournament. I would stay home from school to watch every conference tournament and the NCAA since I was like in the fourth grade. So I was just super hype about it. And I was just like, man, this is really happening. And you know, that's when, that's when it really started to take off. And, but so to kind of give you a funny story about Cincy coach, um, uh, Savino and Coach Davis would call me up, and they would talk to me about going to Cincy, and I liked what they were saying, but <laughs> I used to watch dudes like Yancey Gates on in the Big East tournament. I was like, yo, if I go there, I'm going to get broken in half. So, <laughs> right. like, I wasn't – I was – I was uh, I always had that kind of C-Paw mindset of playing hard and playing physical, but I was like, my body isn't there yet to play there. Mm-hmm. And um, – I was just like, I don't know if I could go there. I don't know if I could compete. And this is this is this is a young Kyle talking though in my head in my head. And so mm-hmm. when I got so thinking about going to school, I was thinking I could go if I could go to a league like the ACC. If I could go to a school where they they kind of focus on offense. They play defense, but they focus on offense and uh, they focus on just being skilled. I think I could do that. And um, state. NC State really, really jumped out to me because there it was Coach Mark Godfrey. He just went to the Sweet 16. Um, the two kids, the two positions, the power forward and the center position, uh, were leaving. They were going. They were entering the draft, and uh, you know they had he had a lot of momentum. And and just playing in the ACC, I wanted to play the best competition possible because I wanted to prove I could play. So they really stuck out to me. And I I 
committed my senior my senior year, but I wasn't at Hoskins anymore. I I had a I had an okay year at uh I had an okay year at uh Hotchkiss my junior that was my junior year, but because I had to reclassify, so I did my re I did my junior year over. Okay, okay. But th- but then when I got to um so it's Brewster, you ended up at Brewster, yeah, right? Yeah, I ended okay. up at Brewster, and I mean Brewster is the holy grail of, of basketball when you talk about when you talk oh, about yeah. prep school basketball. So oh yeah, I mean my. Our starting five was Ron Patterson. He went to Syracuse, then he finished at IUPUI. Uh, Martez Harrison, he went to UMKC. He scored 1,000 points in two years. He was great, uh, just a hard-nosed guard. Chris McCullough, I think he was drafted 21st to the Brooklyn Nets out of Syracuse. Myself, and then um, you had Jared Terrell play for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and and he he went to Rhode Island. Uh-huh. Uh and that was that was our starting five. Like we, and then we played. I played with six more kids who went D one. So mm. I, I was at a basketball factory at that point. And coming off of that summer, my that junior summer, I went to NBA Top One Hundred. I did LeBron James Skills Academy. I did Amari Skills Academy. And then I played for, I played for, I played in global games. I played, so I played against like Team China, um, Brazil, like Lithuania. And I was pissed. I'm still mad at Global Games because they didn't put me on Midwest. They, Midwest ended up winning the championship. They put me on the East squad because I was uh, I went to prep school out in, in out in the New East. Hampshire. But I was right? like, yeah, yeah. But I was like, I'm from Minnesota. I was like, how am I on this team? <laughs> right, right. But I was just I was just I was just happy about it, man. And I was just blessed. Like I played at LeBron James Skills Academy. I was playing all the top. You know, he's number one at at the power forward position or. He's top ten overall. Like I was playing kids like Chris Walker, Jarrell Martin, all these dudes, uh, Cliff Alexander, like all these big name guys, um, Jabari, Andrew Wiggins, and I was doing well. And I was just, I was just gaining momentum. So coming into Brewster, I was just like, look, I have all these schools. I worked this hard to get here, and I was just like, I'm not gonna stop. So I committed. I can, I went to state. I I visited there. I was like, look, I'm I'm loving it. Raleigh's a beautiful city, and I just I I was ready to go there. So that's what that's how I made my decision. And and it didn't work out there. And you mm-hmm. end up with the Bearcats. But I guess you end up with the Bearcats because of Savino and Davis recruiting you back. Mm-hmm. You know, during the I guess Hotchkiss in the Brewster time period. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll give you a quick story. So. Um, Coach Davis and I used to talk for hours on the phone because I used to be up in I used to be in Connecticut, New Hampshire. And man, I'm a basketball nerd. I love hearing all these stories. So Coach Davis coached Tim Duncan. He coached at all these schools. He he basically jump started Oak Hill to be as good as they were. So he would just tell me these stories for hours. So we already had an established relationship. So I'm a I'm gonna fast forward you to when when Cincy actually came down to state and played us, they beat us. I think I played all right, but I I uh I ended up telling L D I was like, Hey, tell coach, because that's when coach went out with his brain thing. Tell coach like I hope he's doing well. Um, I hope you're doing well and then when I put my name in the transfer portal, uh, he was one of the first to call me and I was like, Look, you recruited me for a long time I just feel like I have to take an official visit. This is when 
when Troy just came off a hit in the shot versus Purdue, mm-hmm. and, then, and then you guys played really well versus uh, Kentucky. And then I, I always knew about Gary because GC grew up in North Carolina. He, was, yep. he used to always come to the NC State camps, and they used to talk about – they used to be like, that kid's good right there. So I always knew about him. I always knew he was good. So, gotcha. So, yeah, I visited there, and, and Coach sat me down and – the reason why I committed to Cincy is because everything people might have a lot to say about coach, but everything that he does is going to be <laughs> <laughs> everything. He, everything he does is 110% thorough when it comes mm-hmm. to practice, when it comes to game preparation, when it comes to film, when it comes to technique, when it comes to everything, percentages, breakdowns is 110% thorough. So he was speaking in my language. I'm. I was the kid who always had to work hard and go over, uh, dot my eyes and cross my teeth every time. So the way he was talking to me, me and him just grew a bond that way. And I was telling him like, "Look, I'm grinding. I'm a grinder. I'm ready to go somewhere and really just fall in love with the game and be 110% locked in." So when I like I told you, I didn't want to transfer from state because I felt like I earned my. I earned my position there, but Coach Godfrey and I were just weren't seeing eye to eye. We stopped, like we stopped. He stopped playing me down the stretch, and then I had a I had a good tournament. I helped them come back versus LSU. We beat them. Uh, we played Villanova in the in the round of 32. We beat them, and then I played in the Sweet 16. I played 11. I played nine minutes each in the Sweet 16 versus Louisville, and mm-hmm. I had 11 points. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I was just locked in, man. I was just locked in. And so my top 10, my top 10 when I transferred was like Providence, Iowa State, Cincy, Marquette, Kansas. Um, I forgot. That was my top five. I, I forgot. Oh, Xavier was in there. I can't. Those are all the schools I remember. But I had options. I'm glad you didn't go to Xavier. I'm definitely nah. glad you didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't go to Xavier. Coach, even though Coach Mack is a good dude. Very I know our rivalry, even though our rivalry is crazy, he is a good guy. He recruited yes, me for a long time too. But uh, I, very good guy. I was just, I just felt a connection to Cincy and the coach and the LD Savino. And I was like, look, I'm excited and I and I want to get it done because they understood my game, they understood what I needed to get better at, and they just gave me a breakdown of everything. And they were like, look, this is what we're gonna do when you get here, and that's exactly what we did. And we're we're definitely glad you chose the Bearcats, and I, I definitely want to dive now into your your Bearcat career. But I've got to ask you the million dollar question. What's the million dollar question? Yeah. And and I think I know what your answer is going to be. Uh-huh. But when you were at UC, uh-huh. the hook shot. Uh-huh. How did you develop that? I mean, it was a hook like no one had ever seen. <laughs> yeah, man. You, it was not. It's, that's a non traditional hook shot. How did you develop that, and what's the kind of thought process behind all that? Uh, so, it was it was my dad. It was my I knew dad. I knew it. I knew it. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. It was my dad. He t- he taught me how. He taught me like the little the little baby hook. I was we would call it, and um, he it was like a set. It was a set of it was like a set of moves that he gave me, and we would work on every day, uh, in terms of finishing because. He was a he was an offensive weapon in college, but he played guard. So 
he he knows the game extremely well. If he decided to go into basketball when he right after his career was finished, he would easily be a coach, either high D1 or either assistant in the NBA. Because I'm telling you, Meech, he knows the game through mm-hmm. and through. Like he's just a student of the game. He's yeah. he's just one of those guys that loves sports. Like women's volleyball will be on, and he'll be locked into it. And he'll be like, <laughs> do you see this match right now? I'll be like, dude, why are you telling me about this? So, like, he, he just loves sports, man. So, uh, but he would just – he would teach me how to finish, um, and it just became – it became part of my calling card um, because it was good. It was hard to defend. Uh, Very hard. And once, and once I got somebody on my back, I was able to kind of maneuver, so – he taught me that, and then once I got to once I got to Cincinnati, coach will tell you himself. Like coach was on, coach has been on many interviews saying that we didn't really teach Kyle how to play offense. They taught me a lot of things about basketball on the on both ends, but he he would tell he would tell you himself he didn't really teach me a lot about offense, but he taught me when to attack. He just taught me the little innuendos and stuff. Savino yeah. too, LD, everybody. Um, yep. He, they didn't teach me that, but they taught me how to utilize it. They taught me how to make it a decoy. They taught me how to, you know, you know, switch up the game plan on people. So, like I told you, he he is a hundred and ten percent thorough in everything he does. So yeah. that's that's why me and him had a, a good connection. But now, yeah, that my dad taught me that. There was a there was a game. I I can't remember what game it was that I went to, and I was I was sitting down pretty close, and you, you caught the ball right block, you know, you, you took that one dribble, boom, hit him with the shoulder, turn right shoulder, and you went up to shoot the jump hook. And I, I just happened to be at a lower level in the arena and, and a good angle. Mm-hmm. And the spin that you put on that hook shot, it it, man, it took the craziest bounce and <laughs> bounced in. And I'm telling you, the whole, the whole crowd was like, how the hell did he make that? And you're running down <laughs> like, that, that's just supposed to go in. Like, yeah, yeah, supposed- yeah. That spin you put on that shit was is 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 amazing <laughs> to me. Like you ever watch um like ESPN has that sports science thing? Oh yeah, 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 that one. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm always like they did it with sports science on that on that spin because you would get some amazing rolls mm-hmm. on your on your hook. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm just gonna attribute that to the reps, man. Like the the reps that I would put in on it. I mm-hmm. would I would shoot that I would shoot that hook so many times. And I would, depending on the rim, so if the rim was either super hard or if this rim was bouncy, I would know what type of spin to put on it or how or how hard to follow through. It was just it just depends on the situation or yeah. if if I'm receiving a lot of bump from the defender. So it was just a lot that went into it because you know how it is. Like when you get your ten thousand hours in, when you do so many, when you do a thing so many times, you you find out the small, little, microscopic things to it. So, Fact. like, when people would be so amazed by it, I would be like, well, I did that type of shot on Thursday. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I, was, I, was, I was really used to it. So, like you said, but – and I got to attribute a lot of that to the pad work. The pad work, I learned about that in sophomore year. I would just – I would have a manager um, – I would have a manager defend me as if he was the defender and – I would just say, look, when I go up to finish, I want you to bump me really hard. And if yeah. I ever became a coach or if I ever tried to train somebody like my own kid, 
I would just really I would really emphasize pad work for big yeah. for bigs because there's a difference between you just getting in reps and you're shooting by yourself, but you're not you're never shooting by yourself in a game. You're always getting bumped. Always. So that's so always exactly contact. exactly. So especially how physically we play that sensi. So that yep. really helped me take the take my finishing to a new level. And you know what? I always always tell people that I think in in the history of basketball and basketball's obviously it's it's changing the style of play right now in, in America is changing a lot. But if you look over the history of basketball, I personally think there have been two shots that have been unstoppable. Mm-hmm. All right. So the first I would say is MJ's fadeaway, Michael Jordan's fadeaway. And, and and for me, it was growing up watching MJ do that fadeaway was such an unstoppable move. And listen, he didn't create the fadeaway. There were there were many before him that did the fadeaway. Uh, David Thompson, who uh, Michael credits a lot of getting his game from David Thompson, mm-hmm. uh, Bernard King, Jerry West, Larry Bird. A lot of a lot of those guys did fadeaway jump shots, but Michael took it to another level. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, prior to Michael was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the mm-hmm. sky hook. And and that sky hook was an unstoppable move. And for the life of me, you've got two moves that have been proven over history that have literally been unstoppable if you do it the right way. A lot of kids today have adapted the fadeaway into their repertoire. If you watch the NBA games and the bubble games, you saw Jimmy Butler doing fadeaways. I mean, all, all the guys do that now. But the jump hook, the sky hook, has disappeared from the game so much. You 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 use that so much, and you you made it your own. But why do you think in today's game, so many players do not use the hook shot, the sky hook? Yeah, it's kind of like what we were talking about in terms of I think people, especially up top in, in the NBA and um, high leagues in Europe, I think a lot of them are trying to X out uh, the mid-range game. And I think it's I think it's bad for the game, uh, yeah. honestly. Because if you think about it, if you kind of break down the types of bigs that are coming out of uh, high school in America and stuff like that, you either have, like, the athletes that just jump out the gym, block shots, hustle type of bigs, and then you have um, bigs that have skill but not, might not be as athletic. And what I want and, – and kind of what I want to see is, you know, uh, a mix, a hybrid of those. Like, a big who could jump out the gym, be athletic, make all the hustle plays, catch uh, lobs and stuff like that off the pick and roll, but also um, – but also be able to have skill, also be able to have that sky hook, a baby hook, be able to turn and face. And um, I think the reason why people, there's just there's just two polar opposites. There's either a skilled big that's not athletic or, or, a, or a big that could jump out the gym and doesn't have mm-hmm. a lot of skill. It's because, you know, that's, that's what the game is creating them to be. They're not really looking for, they're not really looking for like a Paul Millsap type or they're just looking for someone who could really, who could really just run up and down the uh, floor, set a lot of screens, and get a lot of hustle play. So I think it should be implemented back in the game, and uh, I think that mid-range should be brought back because mid-range is a lethal weapon. I think it just heats oh, up an offensive player. Big time. I mean, we saw that with Kawhi Leonard. He's kind of mastered that mid-range game, and it's proven exactly. to be very effective for him. So, hey, exactly. I want to jump into your 
um, your first year with the Bearcat, um, prior to your first season playing, but the first year you were here in Cincy, mm-hmm. sitting out the 2015-2016 year, um, you had to sit out. And I've talked to a lot of players um, that have played at the collegiate level that go from playing a lot of basketball in high school and prior to, and then they get to college and for whatever reason they might have to red shirt or they transfer and they sit out. And a lot of them tell me it was so tough to sit there and, and watch. And if you think about the Bearcats that 2015-2016, they finished 22-11, and 11, lost in the first round of the AAC tourney and the first round of the NCAA tourney. So for you watching them you know, struggle a little bit on the court and you not being able, being able to be out there, um, how did that affect you and did you struggle with sitting out? Uh, to tell you the truth, not really, because I think it was a good, I think it was a good chance to reflect on all the basketball I've been playing since high school. And then my two years at state, which was really exciting. And I think it was just a time to reflect and kind of, um, project and manifest on what I wanted to do and and how I wanted to impact, uh, coaches program and how I wanted to impact my teammates coming into that 2016-17 season. And I just, like I said, I didn't have any – I really didn't have a social life at Cincy, and I don't regret it because, man, I, like I told you, I had – all my friends were maintenance people and, and managers. So I was just – I was working out really hard every day. I would be in the gym. I would be in fifth, third, or in our practice gym literally every night or every morning just uh, working hard and make sure my game was at a level where I could come in right away and there was no – there was no type of there's no type of transition period or slippage. I just wanted to hit the road running and help our team win because I saw we had so many good pieces. I saw Jacob as a freshman. I yeah. knew Ted was I knew Ted was coming in. I knew Gary had all the pieces to become the player that he eventually became. Uh, I always talk about wanting to play with Farad Cobb. He, he was one of the closer people that I was with the program because he was a gym rat. He worked really hard, and we just had so many hours of just pushing each other in the gym and. You know he's he's kind of slept on on his Cincy career, but I always shout him out because he's a he was a really good player. Uh, I just try to push uh, Tay Octavius and and Coriante as much as as much as possible and try to be a an impact guy. So when I was yeah. out when I, when I'd be sitting out, I would just go hard and practice and try to influence and try to influence the work hard and get that long term gratification like. We want to go far in the tournament. We want to have a great record. We want to try to dominate the AAC. So that was kind of my, that was kind of my vision, and that was kind of what I wanted to get across. Well, and if you look at it, I mean, the Bearcats were twenty-two and eleven. Like I said, lose the first round of the tourney of the conference tourney, the first round of the NCAA, and then you become eligible the next season. I think there was a big difference in that two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen, and the next year. And I think you were a huge part of that. And I actually tweeted out something when I went to a practice when you had to sit out and I was watching practice and I was watching you and how hard you went. And I was like, I tweeted this out. I was like, man, I really wish Cal Washington could play this season because he would kind of bring everything together. And I really truly thought you were like that perfect, you know, Bearcat player, that piece that would bring everything together. And that tweet proved to be prophetic because the next two years there was a tremendous amount of success, and I attribute a lot of that to your play. Well, man, I appreciate that. Like I told you, I don't take any of that for granted. And uh, coming from you, being a part of the program, playing, and just seeing all that 
the prestige that the CPAR represented, I don't take it lightly. So thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. let's talk about your first season, 2016, 2017. It was a pretty talented roster, man. You look at Jacob Evans. You know, you mentioned some of these guys, Gary Clark, mm-hmm. Troy Copain, mm-hmm. uh, Jaron Cumberland, Kevin Johnson, who's mm-hmm. a senior that year. Um, and, and this season you averaged 13-7. and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, What was your – going into the season, what was your role – what did the coaches talk to you about, and in your mind, what was your role? Um, like I told you, when I came on my visit, uh, the reason why I committed to Cincinnati is because Coach Cronin, uh, he was just super thorough in everything he does. Uh, mm-hmm. People could say what they want about him, but he's just super thorough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he makes sure that he covers every base. So when I visited, uh, he talked about, my offensive prowess and how I was able to score on three levels in the college game. But he also talked about what he wanted me to focus on. He, he, he didn't say that he thought I was a bad defensive player, but he thought I should focus and uh, concentrate my energies towards becoming a really good defensive player. If you look at my games at uh, NC State, there were – I had – B.J. Anya was the main shot blocker on that team, but I had many games where I had four four uh block shots versus like a Duke, North Carolina. And there were games where I had three, two. So it was like I had a defensive shot blocking presence, but he wanted to focus he wanted me to focus on defense, rebounding, and kind of letting that energy um uh serve as a conduit to kind of to kind of ignite my offense again because that's kind of mm-hmm. what we needed a little bit. And uh I think I think that's what he wanted me to do. He said, be yourself and be yourself on the offensive end. If you kind of look at those games, it kind of gave us a different dimension in terms of offensive offensive, skill set. You know, Troy was always going to be solid, always going to make the right play. His turnover ratio was going to be low. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that was just going to, you know, make him motivated to be even even more potent offensively. And then Gary and I, him being on the left block, me being on the right block, it was kind of shoot, pick your own poison. And then as Gary, I mean, as uh, Jacob was developing, uh, Kevin was always solid, Ted. And then it's just like you have all those young well, you, players. Well, you got you got to tell everybody who Ted is. Okay. Teddy. <laughs> yeah. So, Jaron Jaren uh, is my guy. He's, he's uh, a great guy, and um, he's a great player, too. Everybody already knows that, but we went through one of those hell practices in the preseason. And I was just – when we were really tired, we weren't really down. Our team was – our morale wasn't down. But we just – it was one of those dog days, kind of get through at practice. And after, we were just sitting in the locker room, and I was eating a bag of Teddy Grahams. And I saw him, and I saw him kind of – I kind of put the Teddy Graham up to him, and I closed one eye, and I and I looked at him, and I said, this Teddy Graham is you, bro. Look how muscular it is. <laughs> <laughs> and – and everybody and Troy kind of went along with it. Everybody went along with it, and, and then from that day on, he was Ted Teddy. So it, it would be funny to me to see the fans' reaction because they'd be like, "Who the hell is he calling out Ted? What? When did we pick out a new guy, Ted?" Right, so it was right. Funny to me, yeah. Well, I came to a practice one time, and everybody's talking about Teddy, and I'm like, "Who the hell is Teddy?" <laughs> you know, like you know, Bob Mangine, um, uh, strength coach Mike, everybody's saying, Teddy, I'm like, who is Teddy? And they're like, Jaron. And I'm like, <laughs> I get it. Like, I got it right away. But that's just so funny. There are a lot of a lot of Bearcats. Some Bearcat fans already know that um, yeah. and some that don't. So I want to make sure we, we preface that. But let's talk about this. So it's your first year back since sitting out. 
What was it like the first game coming back because you guys played Bellerman and then you mm-hmm. played Brown? So so mm-hmm. talk about those two games for you in coming back. Well, it was crazy because Bellerman didn't go. I was so excited to play that game. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I was so excited to play that game, very hyped. And it was, It didn't feel like I had some of that. It didn't feel like I had, uh, if, like I was rusty. It didn't feel like I was out of the game for a long time because if anybody knows coaches, practices are really intense. And honestly, yeah. practices are harder than the games. For so sure. when when I got to the game, it wasn't, it wasn't, and we and I didn't underestimate Bellarmine because I know all their stories of them beating D ones in exhibition. I really, I I rarely underestimated my competition, if if at any time. But if we when we played them, I had a horrible game. I had like three fouls in the first half. Uh, I had like three points, like one rebound, and it was crazy because it was kind of good. Like I said, I wasn't on a high horse or anything, but it, it humbled me in a way because. I just was super focused and determined to have a great game versus Brown. And I ended mm-hmm. up having a great game because I had, like, 16, 11, I think 16, 12, 5, and 2. And I I was just happy about, you know, you're supposed to do that versus Brown, but I was just happy the way the season started. Then we played Albany, and then we had that um, tournament, the, the Naismith shootout um, in the fall at uh, in Connecticut, which was a great tournament. Uh, we were beating Rhode Island by, like, 15, and we ended up – slipping up on that game, but then we beat a Penn State team that would eventually come good. Yeah, and and it's funny. So the expectations, I think, this season were extremely high because of returning players, you being eligible, all the pieces in place. Mm -hmm. Seems like it's going to be a team that, you know, makes a nice run. And, you know, you guys are, are playing some good competition here at the start of the season. Like you said, you lose to number 21, Rhode Island, um, and then you lose to um, Butler, you beat Iowa State in overtime. Great game. They were number 19 mm-hmm. at the time. Um, but mm-hmm. then you lose to Butler, mm-hmm. who was number 16 at the time. Playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse is, is very tough. So, um, But the, the key was, I think, after that Butler loss, you guys regrouped and you went on a 15-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. Now, sandwiched in between that 15-game winning streak, you guys beat Xavier. And mm-hmm. I'm from Cincinnati, so anytime – a Bearcat team beats Xavier, it makes my day because it's just <laughs> been such a big robbery if you grew up in this area. So for you, not being from this area and you playing at NC State where just in the state of North Carolina there's so many so many rivalry games, mm-hmm. um, what was that Xavier game like for you, and did you know much about the Crosstown shootout prior to no, like I told you before, I'm I'm such a basketball nerd. I knew about the Crosstown shootout. I would watch I would watch everybody. I would watch anybody from Yancey to um to Dion Dixon to to everybody. To even Jaquan Parker who ended up being one of on the staff when I was there. Yeah. And right. I would I would watch them in Big East tournaments, but I also would watch Xavier. I would watch great players like Two Holloway, Mark Lyons, people like that. And um, I knew that Cincinnati basketball was high octane. I knew there was a lot of competition involved, and I knew this rivalry was really serious. So coming into it and and even committing, I knew that uh, it was a high expectation to beat Xavier. And I just I always had that game circled because you have a great program, you have a great uh, coach and, and a great person in Coach Mack. And it was just – and I was just excited to play them. 
like like we talked about before, uh, NC State playing NC State at Duke is nothing to sneeze at. Playing yep. NC State, North Carolina is nothing to sneeze at. So I know I know what type of atmosphere and climate that is. Mm-hmm. It was funny. It was funny because I was so hype. I had so much testosterone flowing through me that it was like I couldn't make a free throw, dude. Like yeah. I, I had twelve, eight, and four, but I shot like something terrible from the line, like something like like eight of like eight of like twenty or something from the line. I'm usually I'm usually like a seventy seventy five percent free throw shooter, and I was just like I felt like I was the Hulk like throwing meteors at the rim or something. <laughs> so you, like so you I, weren't necessarily nervous. You were more hyped than anything. No, I wasn't nervous at all. I was just hyped, and I couldn't get that. I couldn't relax myself because. You know, LD, Larry Davis, our coach, great coach, he was just talking about uh, in the hotel the whole week. It's like you're getting ready for war, man. Like the mm. first five the first five minutes, he was like, if we don't if we don't hit them in the mouth first, then we're going to lose the game. And I remember yep. just coming out, and I felt like I was just a lineman or like a linebacker. I was just determined to hit check somebody, and I did if you watch the film. <laughs> now, that was, a, that was a great game, man, and that was yeah. – uh, a lot of intensity. Um, I think wasn't it that game that 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 Teddy Teddy went off? Yeah, um, Darren, you, you, you showed what he showed what type of player he was going to end up being. Like he had, you know, those get it off the get it off the break, drive it from the other wing to the to get an one. Uh, Troy went on a huge run. Gary had some great plays. Uh, Jacob had a great game. So it was really collective effort. We played a a, a solid team. They had. They had the kid Tyreek Jones. They had uh, he's tough. They had yeah. They had Trayvon Blewett. They had Edmund Subner. So they were a tough team, and we we knew that coming in. It felt great to get that win on that blackout night. Yeah, for sure. And um, that was and some people say that was at times during that game was the loudest they've ever yeah. heard Fifth Third Arena. I think uh, didn't uh, didn't Trayvon go off that game? He Blewett? did. I think. I think he had like 40. 40, I, I think he had forty points in forty minutes, which is ridiculous. Ridic- one of the best crosstown shootout performances that I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. and to be honest, I think if he didn't have forty and had the game he had, that would have been an absolute blowout. Yeah, it would have. It would have. That's for sure. He was definitely a big part of their team's success. And I think that's what made our team special because. You could have a night. You could have a night where Troy goes for twenty five. You could have a night where Gary goes for twenty five. You could have a night where I go for twenty five, or Jacob, yep. or or Ted, or you you have a whole bunch of players from the bench contribute. So it was like you didn't know who you were getting from that uh, yep. on any given night, and I thought that was really beautiful about our team. Yep, pick your poison. Yeah, so exactly. The the one thing I want to talk about the end of this regular season mm-hmm. was the final home game at Fifth Third Arena. You guys beat Houston. And I know for me growing up, I was at the first ever game wow. at Fifth Third Arena, right? Who they actually, play? So the first, well, okay, so let me preface it by saying this. The first official game was versus Minnesota. Oh, wow, and, okay. And Minnesota was highly ranked that year. And basically Bob Huggins had taken over the program. It was his first year. It was the opening of the new beautiful, it was called uh, the Shoemaker Center, the shoe. They called it the shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were really hyped about this game. Um, a football walk-on named Steve Sanders hit a corner shot to win the game. And so, <laughs> for real, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. To, so, so basically, the the to basically open up the whole arena and get that whole next, like the next generation of Bearcat basketball. They won and beat Minnesota. 
Um, and actually, November 25th, coming up, is the anniversary of that game and that shot. So I'm interviewing Steve Sanders, the guy who made that shot, to be released for the podcast for November 25th. So everyone's got to check that out. But for, for me, growing up here, watching so much Bearcat basketball from the first game on November 25th, to the final game, uh, I believe it was March 2nd, I think it was, versus Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys closed up that, that arena and all that history. And I know for me it was really cool because a lot of the former players came back. You guys won a big game, festive. I think we even took a big picture in the locker room. No, we remember did. that? And we, and we took a picture at uh, half court, too, which was That's really right. Cool. That's right. How was that game for you? I mean, knowing that you, you guys were one of the teams that, you know, basically closed off the the end of that era of that arena. Well, it was senior night, and uh, we just wanted to make sure that that Kevin and Troy and uh, Tobes went out, went out. <laughs> yeah, Tobes is a great guy. Uh, went out, you know, as as champs, and went out as uh, I think we went undefeated at home. So we just wanted to make sure we closed them out. If you think about that team that we were playing, Calvin Sampson, who did a great job of reemerging and and making. Uh, Houston, more than a relevant program, he's a really sure. good coach. Uh, you had players like Devin Davis. You had players like uh, like Rob Gray, and then Corey Davis ended up coming my, my next year. But we knew they were a tough team, and we like I said, when you play in a conference where you're there's a there's a target on your back at all times, you want to make sure every game you set the tone because yep. everybody's going to give you your best shot. Yep. It, it's funny because I actually sprained the hell out of my ankle that game. And I just I just kept on telling my teammates when this game is over I'm not going to be able to walk so I was just using my <laughs> I was just using the adrenaline of the night and um, yeah. of senior night to kind of get me through but yeah I sprained my ankle like the first play of the game and I was like coach sub me back in I was I'm not I was, I'm just going to be a paraplegic on this bench the whole game so <laughs> right <laughs> so it's uh you know it's just I rem- it's just little things that you remember from that. And uh, I was just, like I said, I was just happy on a senior night. And when you're not a senior, you just want to make sure that they have, that your guys have the best night possible. So it's really not about you. Yeah, no question. So um, you guys, you know, make it to the championship game of the uh, conference tournament, lose to SMU. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the NCAA starts and mm-hmm. you guys beat Kansas, Kansas State. State. Yeah. Play pretty well. And, then there's that big game versus UCLA, who at the time mm-hmm. I believe was ranked number eight, Lonzo Ball, that whole crew. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about that game uh, for you. Yeah. Uh, like we visited before, man, it was a it was a really tough game for me. It was one of the – it was one of my lowest moments in college basketball, to tell you the truth. After we lost that game, because I didn't play well, and you, you sit out your redshirt year, you have a vision on how you want the – how you want your season to go, how you want to contribute for your team. So – for me not to be there for my team and me to play as poorly as I did, because I have, I'm a, I'm, I have, I believe in myself at a high level, but I'm also very critical of myself. So when I yep. didn't do well, it, it hurt and uh, it bothered me because I felt like I just wasn't there for my team. And and just just to give kind of the listeners uh, just some insight about it, like sports is just so mental. Um, I had good preparation, good physical preparation coming up to the game. Uh, was eating right, doing what I had to do, but I wasn't there mentally. And when I wasn't there mentally, I wasn't fully present in the moment and I didn't do what I had to do. So I kind of, even though in that failure, I learned from just 
whenever you're in a big moment like that, and that wasn't my first big moment by a long shot, but whenever you're in another big moment like that, just remember that the only person that could stop you is you. And I sure. and and I felt vindicated when we went and um, when we went and visited at Westwood my next year, and we played some of the players that were on that team, and I did what I had to do. So I was happy about that because I, I I definitely needed some redemption. And we're going to talk about that game in a little bit because I know you were thinking about that game mm-hmm. all year after you guys mm-hmm. lose to UCLA and you didn't play well, but. So you guys finished the season 30 and 6. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's you guys had a great season, great record, but I think the expectation and the hype was really around this 2017, 2018 season mm-hmm. and you're a senior. You know, just looking at this roster with Jacob Evans who's coming back as a junior, you and Gary are seniors, uh Jaron's now going into his second year, uh Kane Broom, mm-hmm. uh, Justin Jennifer. You got a lot of really really nice pieces. Um, yeah. The expectations, I think, were through the roof, and a lot of people were like, "This could be the team." Yeah, exactly, exactly. Don't forget my boy Trey Scott, but yeah, it was just that oh, yeah. that that team coming into our senior year. Uh, I knew that we were going to have a chance to be special just off of little things, like say the hierarchy of the team and just the mentality of the leaders. Um, we we had a great relationship from the top to the bottom, but me and Gary and I relationship was just very different because we, we got along on a, on a high level off the court and we understood each other. I think, I think what's slept on in sports is understanding each other, understanding your teammates and, and being able to build a bond. You don't necessarily have to be friends, which we are, we're great friends, but you have to understand each other. Yeah. And I think that's what, I think what, that's what builds great chemistry. I know you watched the last dance just, thinking about those chem- the, the chemistry of that team. Yep. And uh, I think that's just so important, man. So me and Gary, we, we just talked about what we want our season to look like, what the coaches expect of us, what challenges we're going to have on the, um, in terms of our team. And we had, we had a meeting. Gary, Gary and I decided to say, hey, I said I had everybody come through to my apartment, and we talked about what our expectations were because we wanted to take ownership for that. We want to take mm. ownership for – for what we wanted to do and what we wanted to accomplish. So we just talked about everything, all the challenges that we were going to expect, all the challenges that we weren't going to expect. And uh, it was a great way to start off the season. So I was just, I was, uh, I was excited for it because I knew we had uh, opportunity to do great things, which we did. And you start off the season great. You win your first seven games. The mm-hmm. first loss happens against Xavier, who's 21 mm-hmm. in the country, at Centos. Centos is obviously one of the toughest places to play. Really in the is. country. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so tough to play there, and it's a rivalry game. But here's what I want to dive into. So you guys win the first seven. Expectations are through the roof. You're undefeated going in against Xavier. You lose to Xavier, but you guys got to quickly jump on the plane and head to New Jersey and play mm-hmm. Florida, who's number mm-hmm. five in the country. So another big game. So it's a redemption. You know, you, you lose to Xavier. Okay, fine. Now we're going to kind of get things back going and beat Florida. And mm-hmm. you guys did. You mm-hmm. lose to Florida. And I was at that game in New Jersey, and I remember leaving the arena. Uh, I think it was the uh, Prudential Arena. Leaving there, mm-hmm. getting ready to fly back, and, like, the Bearcat fans had just given up on you guys. Like, mm-hmm. people were like, ah, they can't beat Xavier in Florida. They can't win the big game. This isn't the team we thought it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, people – 
you know, people have really, and that happens in sports to where, you know, you, you have to block out the outside noise. Yeah. And, and it seemed that you guys did that. And I, I want to jump into a game you just talked about a second ago that I think really changed up the season. So after the loss to Florida, you guys beat a good Mississippi State team at mm-hmm. home, but then you fly to Los Angeles, the Poly Pavilion, mm-hmm. and you beat UCLA on their home court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had to, we just knew that they were okay. So they had a few young pieces, but they had some important pieces coming back. You had one of the Holiday brothers. You had uh, Thomas Welsh, really good seven footer, uh, long can just he could stretch the floor, really great mid range. But he was just their piece, and I just knew, like I told you before, that I didn't play well the first game. That I was just determined to do whatever it took, and LD. Um, who recruited me and actually was the coach who talked to me about talked to me on a lot of big lessons. Um, Savino was my positions coach, but I would mm-hmm. say that LD, me and her, me and LD had a had a longer history because he he recruited me for a long time and we just knew each other from a lot of different instances. Mm-hmm. Savino's a great coach too, but that's just how our relationship was. Mm-hmm. So LD was just telling me that I just have to play great defense on this guy and be and play great position defense, which I ended up doing. Had a high deflection game, and uh, you know we did what we did, and we 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 constricted them offensively, but we also had a really good offensive game, and uh, it was exciting, man. You you saw uh, people like Caitlyn Jenner were sitting courtside. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Carrie Champion. I was I was chirping at Carrie Champion the whole time because he's just cute. And uh, <laughs> and uh, once I started getting off, I was real comfortable, and I was just like, I see you, Carrie. So uh, it was funny because I was winking at her the whole time. She's probably like, who is this kid? But yeah, that's but, good stuff. But yeah, man, it was it was a fun it was a fun experience, and uh, we just wanted to, we just wanted to make sure. And it's, it's kind of what you were talking about earlier about not listening to the noise. You can't really get you can't listen. You can't read your own press clippings yep. on the good and bad, and you kind of have a, have to have a vision on what you want it to look like. Yep. Well, I mean, in this era, you you almost have to say you can't read Twitter exactly. <laughs> because you, exactly. you go through social media. Sometimes you could the team could be overhyped, and you start believing your hype, and you stop yeah. working, um, or you get you know they get down on you. In this case. You know, Bearcat Nation had kind of got down on the team, but you guys blocked out that outside noise, beat UCLA. And I was at that game um, in L.A., and I'm going to tell you, there was something that stuck out to me. After the game was over, I went down on the floor. I had a couple buddies with me that live in Los Angeles, and they're from Cincinnati originally, so they're Bearcat fans. And we were all down there, and the team's coming out, and you guys were just, I mean, energized. And I, I just felt like this was the game – that could change around this entire season. And sure enough, you guys go on a 16-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and listen, it is tough. I don't care what conference you're in. And people sleep on the um, American Conference. Mm-hmm. I, I think they really do. In conference, it is so tough to win games. And especially, you look at, I mean, we're in the Midwest so mm-hmm. it's cold in January. It's cold in February. You're going to class, <laughs> exactly. right? Yeah. You're, you're you're playing back. You know, you're you're playing East Carolina Temple, and sometimes it's tough to get up for those games. But you guys 
were focused in, won 16 games, uh, went on a 16-game winning streak, and now all of a sudden, all those people that gave up before are back on. Yeah, exactly. They're back on that train. Exactly. But there, there's there's one team I want to talk about in particular that, um, you know, in, in conference that has always been, in, in my opinion, one of my favorite rivalries to watch in conference, and that's when you guys played Wichita State. Wichita mm. State beat us here, and yeah. then you guys go and beat them at their place. Talk about playing at Wichita State and what that's like. Man, uh, Wichita State is absolutely insane. It's like a huge beehive. It's because cause all is like <laughs> black and yellow. Um, they sell out every game. Um, Wichita, the community and the city around it, there's not there's not any pro sports. Cause, so that's their pro sports. And, yep. uh, you know, Greg Marshall started a great uh, community, started a great culture there, taking, mm-hmm. you know, people like Baker and Van Vliet to the final four. And once you play a team like that, they have the same expectations as you do. And this is for, this game is for the regular season, you know, title. So we, we went on a journey going on that 16 game winning streak, winning all those games and then having that final test. It's funny because I didn't even, I didn't even play particularly well that game on, uh, I didn't have a great offensive game. I played solid on defense, I think, but we, uh, I just remember doing whatever it took making whatever play, making whatever shot, not even thinking about percentages that game and just making it happen. And I remember when we when Trey actually subbed in for me for our final stop. And once we got it, I just ran on the court and just we just all hugged each other and we had just a huge embrace and we were just super hyped. So we were just mm-hmm. happy about it. It gave us great momentum. It yep. gave us great momentum going into the AAC um, conference tournament. Uh, which we ended up winning, and it, it was just exciting, man. It was one of those moments that you'll never forget. And, and before I forget, I want to talk about you guys playing at Northern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So um, having played, and you, and you talked about this earlier, man, all the reps and all the time you spent in Fifth Third Arena, you talked about the maintenance man and the, the managers were your best mm-hmm. friends, and you spent a lot of time getting up shots. And for for those out there that are listening when you play college basketball, how different it is from high school basketball with the depth perception. You know, you got mm-hmm. huge student sections behind the basket. So how was it going from Fifth Third Arena playing to now playing at, quote, unquote, your home court at NKU? How was that like getting used to that, and did you enjoy playing there? No, uh, people, people of the fans and – People that knew us around uh, Cincy and just around when I'd be out, they would talk about how it was a bad situation about my senior year and not being able to play at Fifth Third. And yeah, it was. You wanted to be able to play at home, but I thought it was a. I thought it was good. I thought we transitioned well. I thought we adapted well to the uh, environment. Uh, MKU treated us uh, a one with a. You know, they were first class all the way. So yeah, I think I didn't really bother us because the. Our fans were there. You guys there. You supported us, and sure. you, and and the community supported us in what we needed. And as long as we won, you guys came to the game, and it, and it was an exciting kind of thing. You know, we were just we were we were kind of focused. We were tunnel vision on what we wanted to accomplish because what we knew we had as a team. So we weren't going to let anything like that really get in our way. And if you and you could be mad if NKU was a crummy court or, or like you know not not well conditioned, but it was a it was a solid environment for what we were dealing with. You know, yep. I think people would have to say that. 
so so now transitioning into the conference tournament, um, and and I I personally think um, one of the most exciting times this season was definitely the conference tournament, the run you guys make, beat SMU, Memphis, and then the championship game, a great game uh, versus Houston, in which you guys win. And I I look back at some of the past years under Mick Cronin. And I look at that Houston game as one of the the biggest games as far as, I mean, just you guys put it together. You Mm -hmm. found a way to win against, like you said, the tough Houston team. Mm -hmm. It was just an exciting time. And just watching you guys celebrate after you you won that tournament and beat Houston. So how was that for you? Man, it it was super exciting. It was one of those games where, like, if you didn't get that stop that you needed, it felt like you were going to die. It felt like my life was on the line to get it because we just wanted yeah. to win that bad. And we wanted to couple the regular season conference championship with the, with the tournament title to say we're the undisputed champs of that, um, of that league. And like you said, it was a, it was an underrated league with, with people yep. at the top, like Houston, Wichita State and us, we just wanted to show that we were, that we were for real. And we, and and also it affected our seeding too. So say we'd have lost to a team, uh, two struggling teams that year like SMU and a Memphis. If you mm-hmm. look back at those games, we were down at half and we weren't playing particularly well. And we would just look at each other like, look, man, if we lose this game, they're gonna they're gonna you know really hose us on the on the seeding. We wanted to get a number two seed, which we ended up getting. So right. we just said, let's lock in, win these games, and do what we have to do. But that Houston game was amazing because th- that was the third time we played them. We came back from a huge deficit at home to beat them. I think the score was like eighty to seventy. And then we played yep. them. We we played them at Houston. We ended up losing. They rushed the court on us. And then we knew it was going to be a dogfight the whole the whole time. So I just did whatever I had to do to make sure that we were going to win. Uh, Gary had a huge game. Jacob had yeah. a really solid game. Uh, we did. We just made some plays down the stretch. I just remember us being down three, and coach setting up a play where I was uh where I was the trailing big. Uh, what we really wanted was we wanted Ted to either get downhill because he was getting fouled a lot. We wanted him to get downhill, and we put we put Jacob in the corner and then me at the top. We wanted him to get downhill and be able to get fouled and get an end one or kick it to the corner to Jacob or kick it to kick it to the trailer, me, because they were going to have to suck in on his drive. Once mm. he drove, he fell a little bit, picked it up, and just swung it back to me. I was off the line and ready for the catch and ready to shoot because I've, I've played that I've played that type of situation in my head millions of times. Mm-hmm. Once, I, once I shot it, I knew it was going to go in, so I was just like, we just got to get the stop. It, yep. it felt like a great shot and it, it went in, and I was just excited about it. It was one of the best moments in my college career, so I was super happy about it. I remember Gary... I remember Gary getting the rebound on the other end, uh, him getting fouled. And then if you look at it, there's a bunch of pictures of me just looking at him with this crazy scowl. My chin is to the floor, and I'm just so hyped because <laughs> I know he's going to make even, even one of these free throws and just and just sink the game. And, and then we ended up winning. It was a great experience, man. We ended up cutting those nets. And you guys have a tremendous amount of momentum going mm-hmm. into the NCAA tournament. You're number two seed beat mm-hmm. Georgia State and then mm-hmm. the game <laughs> the yeah. game a lot of a lot of fans want to want to forget um yeah. you guys play Nevada and and here's the thing about that game um you, you know you, you guys get up by a lot and mm-hmm. I was telling um Bearcat fans I was talking to a bunch I was watching it with a bunch of people 
And I said, man, this Nevada team is very dangerous. You almost have to get a huge, huge lead on them because they're going to come back because their coach used to coach the NBA. And you you watch NBA games. They get down by 15 or 20, and the next thing you know, it's a tie game. You know, they, they shoot quick, like to have a lot of possessions. And Nevada was a type of team that had, in the past, that season, um, prior games, had gotten down a bunch and always found a way to come back. So I was very, very concerned, you know, about them coming back. Um, it's just just a tough – and in some ways there were some tough matchups that game. What, what were your thoughts uh, against Nevada? Um, to tell you the truth, we were hyped. We were, we were really excited about the matchup. We, all, we knew all those facts coming in uh, – that the coach was a really good coach and he coached in the NBA. We knew that they had, we knew that they had really good uh, players. Cause I have, I have played with two of them who were their best players, the Martin twins, Cody and mm-hmm. Caleb. Mm-hmm. Um, I played against a kid, Kendall Stevens, who went to Purdue and then transferred there. And then just knowing their, just knowing, just knowing that they, they won their conference too. And, and, you know, they were, they had a type of momentum, but we knew we were better than them. And we played, mm-hmm. The first five minutes of the game where we we were beating them like 16 to four, they were looking at each other like, oh, we can't beat this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and that's what hurts the most because we were just if you if you ask them if you ask them behind closed doors if since he was a better team they would say hell yes they were better than us but we just find out a way of winning. I yep. was in that I was in that situation before my sophomore year. We were playing LSU. We were playing uh, Jordan Mickey. We were playing Tim Quarterman. We were playing Jarrell Martin, and a, a great LSU team. We were down like 20. I ended up, me and Trevor Lacey ended up mounting a really good comeback and ended up beating them. The NCAA tournament works like that. You got to bury a team, else they're going to keep on fighting because this is their yep. season. There's seniors on the line. There's there's you know school pride on the line. So everybody's going to fight to the end. This is a tournament. So. Going into that, man, uh, and really thinking about it, because I haven't watched the game yet. I don't know when I'll be able to. But <laughs> I hear that. But thinking about it, man, yeah, there were there were things we could have done differently. We could have kept our we could have kept our foot on the gas pedal. But I'm not even gonna point any fingers, and uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say yeah, we could have done this, so and so could have done that, I could have done that. You know, it just sucks. But you kind of learn from those experiences. It hurt, and it still hurts. But that's how I'm gonna look at it. And the other thing with NCAA tournament, I experienced this with the team I was on. You know, you could be up, and all of a sudden, when a team starts making a run, the entire arena switches. Yeah, and all man. of a sudden, they're cheering for Nevada or whoever it is. And you're exactly. like, what? Right? Yeah, that exactly. To you guys. Yeah, like Nashville turned an arena, and I was like, well, you guys are the <laughs> But But, yeah, it was, it was crazy because uh, – it was crazy because that's literally what happened. And, um, you know, that's why you got to make sure you take the crowd out of it. And yeah. uh, we did for a while, but we just didn't finish the deal. And and it sucked because uh, I would have took great pride in going down as one of Mick's greatest teams because the farthest he's ever taken a team at since he was a Sweet 16. And then we would have bragging rights and uh, we would have said, hey, we would have we gone down because I don't care what you would have said to me. I know Sister Jean was on their side, but I think we would have ended up beating Loyola. I, I, I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you because I think there I think there were matchup problems mm-hmm. that you guys gave them in the in yeah. the defense too. So I agree with you on that. So with it, you could always say what if you you know you hate that you guys lost to Nevada. However, 
You finished 31 and 5 that season. Still a great season. And I know Bearcat fans were disappointed it ended like that, but um, you know, I, I even tweeted this out, man. There were so many great games and fun times that season. You cannot weigh that entire season on one single game. So, amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I want to I want to come back and, and, and say this again. Um, and, and if you look at those two seasons that you guys that you played, you guys went sixty-one and eleven. And once mm-hmm. again, um, <laughs> that is a lot of success. And yeah, I think. Is. You were a huge part of that. But I want to ask, when you finished your career at UC, did you feel you left there? Did you have any regrets? Uh, I would definitely want to do some things differently, but I wouldn't categorize them as regrets, man. Uh, To tell you the truth, I think if I didn't, if I didn't go as hard as I went and if I didn't cherish every second the way I did, I felt like I would have regretted that. But I didn't. Like I told you, when I committed there, I had I was on a mission. And when I committed there at, to Cincy, I just wanted to make sure that everything that I was telling my teammates, everything I was telling my coaches that, you know, I was the real McCoy and did exactly what I said I was going to do. So I, I, try to, I try to accomplish those goals as much as possible. And I went at it hard, man. So I wouldn't. Yep. I, I wouldn't say I have any regrets, and uh, you know, obviously, I wish we would have gone further that last year, but that's all in retrospect now. Absolutely. All right, now I want to play the game that I play at the end of the podcast with every person that comes on. I want to yeah. do quick questions and quick answers. You ready? Yeah. yeah. All, right. all right, here we go. Quick questions, quick answers with Kyle Washington. Okay. Question number one: How do you want to be remembered as a Bearcat? As a fighter, man. Love it. Number two. You're getting ready for a big game. You guys are playing Houston in the conference tournament. You're in the locker room. You've got your Beats headphones on. You're getting focused. What pump-up music are you listening to? Uh, I Love It by Kevin Gates, great rapper. And then uh, I Don't Know Them by Chief Keef, for sure. Mm, Chi-town, baby. Chief Keef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number three, and I'm going to text him about this, too. Wait and see. You know, I think I know your answer, but I'm gonna text him. Yeah. Who wins in a one-on-one game? So, so turn off all the lights in Fifth Third Arena, okay? Yeah. And put one light on one court. It's yeah. one-on-one. You versus Gary Clark going to ten. Who wins? Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Of course, I'm gonna say me, but I'm gonna say me. It's gonna either be ten eight or ten nine, man. That's, that thing's going down to the wire. One thing that. <laughs> One thing that people got to know about Gary is he has this, one of the biggest, some of the biggest hands, some of the strongest hands, and great hands. So he gets in your space on defense, but then he has such a strong base, so it's hard to move him. So, but being the competitor that I am, and once you text him, you're gonna be like, he's gonna be like, of course Kyle said he's gonna win, but right, he, right. he he's gonna say he's gonna win. That's what made us great. So you know, we go off, we we're gonna go at it for sure. And that leads me to my fourth and final question. If you could have one teammate during your Bearcat time, one teammate to join you, if you've got to go to battle, who's that one teammate? I think I know what your answer is going to be. For sure, GC again. And I say that because whenever you're going in a battle or a war with somebody, the the other person that you're coupling with has to know your deficiencies and has to know where to cover at for you. Mm. So if GC ever had any deficiencies on the court, I would know, hey, 
And it was very, it was case to case with him. Sometimes I got to cover for them. Sometimes I got to cover for that. But that was rare for him. I rarely had to do that because he was so good at everything. But yep. if I, I would just sense that or he would tell me and we would talk about it. Or and he knew all my deficiencies, so he knew I had to. He had to cover for me in this place. He had to do this. He had to recover for me when I was doing that. So it was just we had that type of symbiotic relationship because we're so different, but it was kind of like a perfect yin and yang. So it was like it, that's exactly who I'm going to war with. And if he's somewhere signing autographs in Orlando, then definitely my man Trey Scott. <laughs> ah. that's my that's my boy, man, for real. Like okay. me and him are like brothers. So. Awesome. He's a warrior, man. Yeah, yeah. So I, I took the Twitter, and like I said, when I tweeted out that you were coming on the podcast, Twitter went crazy, and I always asked Bearcat fans to send me, send me any questions they might have for my guests. So I want to take, let's see, I took four, yeah, I took four Twitter questions. There were a whole bunch, but I just narrowed it down to four. The first one is at Two Chins Cincy, and he asked me, can you ask him about the networking press conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So the networking uh press conference was I was I was taken I was surprised. So usually I know people who are doing the game or commentating or doing the the post game interviews. So we played a really good Temple team at home my junior year and uh we ended up coming back. We were down and I I went on a pretty good run coming down the stretch, had some big buckets and uh uh, I'm losing her name now. What's her name? Allie LaForce. Allie LaForce was doing an interview. I didn't know. I didn't know Allie LaForce at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she was interviewing me, and she just looked crazy, bro. She was looking crazy cute, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" Who? At the end of the interview, I was like, "Wait, who are you? What's your name?" And uh, <laughs> and Gary and everybody, GC for sure came up to me. He was laughing so hard because he was like, "Bro, you're gonna shoot your shot anywhere." And I was like, "For sure, man." <laughs> and uh, and after after Chad Brendel, he was asking, uh, he was giving me a hard time about, uh, he was giving me a hard time about me saying networking to her and, and coming up with that excuse. But I was dating. I was dating someone at the moment who was from the city and she knew she knew what was good so she just she was just on me about it so I had to I had to CYA I had to cover myself so that was my excuse but I could tell the truth now since I'm uh since I'm single. Uh oh. Uh oh. Hey, I'm gonna start using that. Hey man, I'm just networking. I like that. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm gonna start using it. I'm gonna use that tonight. Man, go ahead, you got it. <laughs> so uh number two, um at Cincy Bearcats. Um, ask what is your favorite moment that you see? Man, one of my favorite moments for sure is when we were playing SMU, uh, my junior year, sixteen, seventeen. We we're playing a great team. Uh, we we're playing Sterling Brown. We mm-hmm. were playing Ben mm-hmm. Moore. We were playing Semi Ojale. Really good team, ranked team. I had a block shot, and then we. I came down to the on the other end. We played about twenty five seconds of offense, and then I got a kick to the corner for three nothing but net, and it was just the crowd went crazy. We went on a huge run. We ended up winning that game, and uh, I just remember thinking to myself, I was like, man, this is college basketball. This is everything that I've ever wanted, so I just remember being hype, and uh, I was just like, man, all this work is coming to fruition, so it was beautiful. Mm. Gotcha. Love it. Okay, number three, at Bearcat Neal, he wants to know, how many coaches try to change your shot? Um, Not many, because uh, I came at State a little bit, they try to change my mechanics, but when I was at when I was at Cincy, my percentages were good. I shot even though I didn't shoot a lot of threes at 
NC State. I shot 50% my sophomore year. Um, so they were just like, I know your mechanic, mechanics are a little quirky, but if you really look at my shots in college, I had 10 toes to the basket. I, my hips were squared. I didn't shift yep. my hips. Um, and then I, my follow-through was fine, even though my lead-up was looked quirky. Uh, and I made the shot. One thing people have to know about college coaches, if, if it works, they're not going to try to fix it. Right, so, for sure, uh, for sure. I've done thousands of reps that way, and that's just kind of how my – my shot used to be worse. I used to I used to cock that thing all the way back, and it was just bad because <laughs> my, my mechanics were so undisciplined. But I kind of – as long as you have ten toes, hips don't shift, you keep your hips square, you're good. There's just some core things. If you have them right, the shot yeah. – and you, and you get enough reps – then then your shot's fine. Yep. All right, number four, at Cincy underscore Justin asks, what got you so hyped before the games? I remember Cronin telling the press he always had to calm you down. (laughs) Uh, Coach had to calm me down because he he saw I had that look in my eye. He thought I was about to go out there and catch a case or something. So uh, (laughs) he just wanted wanted to make sure that I was focused and locked in on what I had to do, but yeah. You know, if anybody knows me, they know I'm always excited. They know I'm always um, energized, and that's just how I am. I'm always intense. I'll be intense at, I'll be intense at a grocery store, man. That's just how I am. So, <laughs> yeah, that's just how I am. Yeah, well, you you know, you've got the passion because you've put in the time and the and the reps. So I understand yeah. that. Now, hey, do you still speak with uh, Coach Cronin? I do, I do. I was uh, I was thinking about going to. Cali and working out. I was trying to go out and and work out at the UCLA facilities, but because of COVID, everything you know uh, was kind of stifled with that. But I was just talking to him about my career and and doing certain things and meeting up with him because he's he's uh, he's helped his players that's for sure. And um, even though he's yeah. intense on the court, he definitely he's a good person. Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple things here. Um, have you had a chance to meet and talk with Coach Brandon yet, the new head coach? I- I haven't. The only time I talked to Coach Brandon was we played. We were playing uh, with some players at NKU for open gym, and you know, first class guy came up to us was like, "Hey, thanks for coming through." But I heard that the Cincy fans are taking a liking to him, and yep. all, the only thing I want him to do is make sure that you know, Cincy Cincy basketball is the main prerogative because it's always been uh, at the university, always been our gem, and I just wanted to keep it that way. Yeah, I think he'll. I think he'll do a fantastic job, and I'm sure you'll come back and support and come to some games and make yourself oh, visible for, sure. for the fans. I, I for know sure. I can count on that. As soon um, as as soon as things go back to normal and and you know they're having fans and we're able to enjoy the games the way we used to, I'm definitely going to come through. Great. Okay. Two last things. Um, one, um, I saw an interview, and this was when you were playing. Uh, Dan Horde did an interview with you. And Dan Horde is one of my favorite people in media. I think he does an excellent job. Uh, one of his great, great class guys. Man, and he interviewed Edney. He's he's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was interviewing you, and he went through this thing where you can you know name all the school nicknames. Yeah. Um, and that kind of became one of your things, and a lot of fans know about that. So how did you develop that? you know, being able to memorize all the nicknames. And can you do that with other aspects of different things in life? Do you have that type of memory? Well, I have a really weird memory when it comes – because sometimes I can't remember anything to save my life. There's there's certain, like, memories or stuff in my family that I can remember like that. But with with college basketball, man, I was just – 
always been a huge nerd of it. I've always loved the pageantry. I've always loved the different stories of the different schools. And I had this game on PS2. Um, it was uh, NCAA March Madness 2005, and it was with Emeka Okafor on the cover. And I would play it for hours. But then when I would get tired of playing, I would just go through all the schools and look up that mascot, look at this mascot. And it actually became funny because once I did that, I did – I did a I did a, a live radio show at a restaurant once. I think it was um I forgot where we were, but I did a live I did a live radio show there and then they the fans were asking, Dan Horde was asking, he heard about the mascot thing. And then it was funny cuz I would be at like I would be at Kroger, I'd be somewhere out, you know, <laughs> just enjoying myself and someone would just scream out, they would be like you Albany, and I'd be like, bro, not right now. <laughs> so it was funny. It became a kind of a funny thing. Yeah, that's that's good stuff, man. Well, hey, listen, I, I, I listening to this, you know, listen to you talk about your career. Um, I, I really think you have a future in coaching because. You know, just listen to your history of when you started playing to where you are now, your your meticulous um, attention to detail, which is a big part of coaching. You talked about that with, with Mick Cronin. Um, just your understanding of the game, development of, of players. I think you would be great at college coaching. And, and, and also, like, from a recruiting standpoint, imagine you out. Let's say you're you're working with you know UC's basketball program and you're an assistant coach and you're out at AU tournaments and you're recruiting and they see the six nine dude walking in who's played the game, played the game at a high level. You got that C paw on your shirt. That really gets the attention of a lot of players. And I just think your mind, you eventually, and I, I'm just making a recommendation. I think you would be a fantastic coach and hopefully you get into it at some point man i appreciate it i'm i'm really thinking about that down the line and because i love the game and i feel like people involved with the game especially people who have the privilege to coach at that level uh yep. should should have that type of passion so i feel like i think i feel like i have some things to learn but i feel like i would be an asset to somebody's program and i just appreciate oh, it sure i think i could definitely do that but appreciate it man yeah, no question. Well, hey, listen, people are excited to hear this interview, and I really want to thank you for, for coming on here. We've got to do this again, so when the pandemic lets up and you're in town, we've definitely got to do it again. We'll do it face-to-face. Does that sound good? Yeah, no problem, man, for sure, definitely. Hey, and i got to get busy, man. i got to get out networking here, man. i got to get networking with these, with these ladies, man. bro. It's time. <laughs> yeah, That's man, hilarious. I'm yeah, I got to get networked. So. <laughs> hey, man, I, I appreciate it. We'll, we'll definitely be in touch soon, okay? Oh, for sure, man. You already All right, know. All right, brother. Take care. Later. I want to thank everyone for listening to Season 2 of The Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, Big Meach 41, and I'm now dancing on TikTok at Alex Meacham 41. I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!